Hello, and welcome to the Outlier Podcast, the podcast for everyone who is interested in building better homes. My name is Anthony, and I am the founder and lead designer of Outlier, and I'm passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. I sit down regularly to chat with industry experts to help educate Australians about the potential of creating healthy, comfortable, and energy-efficient homes. Whether you are looking to build your forever home, renovate your existing house, or simply eager to learn more, tune in every month wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you join us on this journey. This is episode 19, and in this three-part episode, we chat with David Demosky from David Bell Design. David provides an honest account of designing and building his own family home to passive house standard. We dive into the details of what makes this home different from a conventional constructed home, including the building fabric, assembly makeups, and how he used Passive House Planning Package, or PHPP, and Woofy to assist the design and value management. We conclude with some of the low moments, the feel-good moments, and what the future of industry may hold. Yeah. yeah. So we've touched on um, ventilation. We've spoken about the thermal envelope. I've got a pretty good grasp on your walls and your, and your roof now. What's happening in the floor? Um, the slab we, well, in, in the PHPP originally when I first had the idea, and I don't know why, but I think it happens to a lot of designers, you get tunnel vision and you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to put a hundred mil XPS and then I'm going to put a hundred mil slab and you just work with these neat numbers. But then I started, that was when I was just learning about the PHPP. And I started mucking around the numbers. I'm like, oh, I can I can get away with 50 mil. Like that's, you know, that's fantastic. So that saves a lot of money there again. Um, so under the floor, I've got, oh, geez, I'm trying to think back on the engineering now. Um, but there's two slabs that are 100 mil thick and then one's 130 double meshed. Um, so under underneath all of them, there's a continuous thermal break essentially of um, XPS foam. 50 millimeters and there is also around the perimeter of all the slabs a Novomir block um, for, for those of you that don't know what that is it's basically just if you think of a brick that's kind of wrapped in um, that white packaging foam that people use the styrofoam um, and that kind of acts as a again a thermal break from your your concrete slab to your footing um, it, it doesn't completely eliminate it but when you do like a an analysis on it it's it gets you pretty far over the line um, yeah, and so you've now given a complete picture of one of the other principles of Passive House, which is thermal bridge-free design. Yeah. So you've got your continuous line, basically, of insulation around your thermal envelope, which is your thermal envelope, which now is – are there any thermal breaks that you've had in the home? Then how um, you've dealt with I've, I'm sorry, thermal bridge, yes. Yeah, I've got one thermal bridge in my garage, and I've, again, the Wolfie analysis um, – it, it kind of determined that it wasn't an issue, but essentially the the two beams supporting the ga- the upper floor where my master bedroom was um, in the garage they were going to be like an LVL timber. Um, it was it came in at like a, a six meter by five hundred mil by I think it was eighty five mil huge huge glue lamp beam like we're talking like three thousand dollars each. Through three and a half thousand dollars each, I think they were, and I was like, "Oh God, that's that's pretty pricey." So, went back to the drawing board, PHPP, um, opted for steel, changed them, um, and it's it's not as good as what the timber was, 
And, and obviously you've got that, when you think about an a steel I-beam now, you've got that really dicky little um, profile to deal with in, in the letter I, opposed to like a nice rectangular beam that you can insulate around. Yeah. Um, the, the analysis showed that it wasn't really going to cause too much of an issue. So again, saved a little bit of money there and did end up with one kind of, if you could call it a thermal bridge, yeah. it, it is, but it's, it's not really detrimental. That's great to hear. And you're going to have yeah. to explain Woofy now. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the analysis that I'm talking about is Woofy. Um, it is a piece of software that you basically, what would you do? You put in like, a, to keep it super basic, um, you're comparing the effects of your building materials opposed to the outside and the indoor temperatures and then seeing the results of that, what bleeds through or how much energy loss you get through. It can tell you like um, cold points and corners and stuff like that. So, Which to um, my understanding is what most people are using for, correct? Like any moisture um, yeah. issues that may occur now. Yeah, that moisture too. Yeah, you're right. Um, conducting material like steel and what's going to happen when you have a high point of temperature differentiation and is that going to cause moisture form or condensation form there? Yeah, exactly so right. that's what you, yeah. So you've been able to mitigate risk by having that with your analysis down to go, no, it's all good. Um, there's no moisture or condensation concern there. Yeah, correct. And that, that happens throughout the, um, the PHPP process. So you'll, you'll essentially do a, a Wolfie analysis for, it, it depends on what your certifier asks for. So I'm using Luke from Detail Green. He's obviously done this probably the most in Australia. I think he's probably done, <laughs> he's done all of them. Yeah, fair to say. Um, yeah. But um, so he's, he's quite confident in a lot of buildups. And if he sees something before, he's not going to ask for a, you know, if, he, if he's seen it before and he knows it works, it's okay. Um, but for stuff that like um, he hasn't seen or stuff that we, we need to get clarification on, you just send a little detail over, you get a wolf analysis done, get it back. And then um, that just tells you and make sure that when you go for your certification, it's all, it's all as built. Um, which the whole point of Passive House, again, that's it, it's to make sure that you're building the best building as, as possible, but you're also kind of checking it as you go along um, through oh, blow door testing, wolf analysis, stuff like that. So, And as an owner builder, you've got to be fully accountable. So, Yeah, I'm accountable for it. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's probably, I'm not sure if you asked me if that was the reason why I, I done um, owner builder, but that was definitely one of them. Like the, the reactions that you get even talking about passive house from from standard builders it's it's a bit of a worry so i'm i'm, I'm not going to hide it like for certain things in my life i am a control freak and when i'm spending a couple hundred thousand bucks or more than that you know i, I want to be a controller that's my money I'm, I'm busting my ass for that money so i don't want you know some apprentice or some trader that hates his job trying to work on my airtime that's because he's not going to do it as good as i am or when he's putting up my frames, like he might not get them as plumb. He might, but he might not. Whereas if I do it, they're plumb. I don't, I don't, I don't move on to the next job until it's perfect. Um, which that's probably one of the things my dad hates about working with me. He's just like, <laughs> he's very like old European kind of, ah, it's good. It's okay. And I'm like, nah, we got to get it <laughs> to the mill. Um, so yeah, just that, that was a bit of a, 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 an incentive to, to take on the build myself, obviously money as well. You do save a lot of money as an, an, an owner builder. Um, that's that that's kind of you know without. It's pretty obvious that that's going to happen. You, you're not paying the the labour component of it, um, and you're also not paying like a builder's margin. Um, so it, it is cheaper, but it, it is a lot of um, it's a lot of time of your life that is just it's just you can't say it's gone because I enjoy it, but. 
for someone that doesn't enjoy building and designing and doing all this nerdy stuff, it's just your life gone. Like, you know, kids growing up and you're like, oh, I'm at the house. It's really tricky sometimes. So that's probably one of the downfalls of it. Um, it's always good to save money, but yeah, yeah. it does come at a, at a cost. Well, thanks for sharing that because it's probably one of the things that I feel gets a little skipped over when it comes to owner building is like what it actually is like in the trenches, you know, mm. how does that impact your family time? If you're a small business owner, like does it also impact that as well? So it's nice to have an honest account sometimes. Yeah, it does. It, it's, um, there's a, it's, well, you know, it's two years of my life plus the year of designing. Um, the designing time, like I kind of just done that during nighttime. So I'd work during the day, put the kids to bed, hang out and then, you know, my wife will go to bed and I'm just like a night owl. So I just stayed up to like one in the morning just designing this house. Um, so that, that wasn't too bad. But you have to understand if you're doing owner builder and you're doing it like me, whereas um, you're doing everything, like everything in that house, my hands have put there. Um, all the concrete, I've, I've dug the footings. Like we've we done, I've done everything. Um, if you're doing it like me, there's not much room for much else. And you have to remember as well that if you're not there, it's not getting built. You can own a build um, where you can be like more of a, you can take a step back and just do project manager and then engage a carpenter, engage um, your trades. I was like, I, I don't touch any plumbing, for instance. So I won't do any plumbing. I won't do any electrical. Um, I didn't do any like of the termite stuff like that. So things that I, I, I'm not allowed to do or I, I shouldn't be doing, I don't. Yeah. Um, but pretty much everything else, like it, it all takes time and um, yeah, moving moving into the build phase um, and all of my clients, like they, they kind of know this. So I like to express it to them when we're onboarding, but they all know I'm building my home. I'll be there from about, oh, geez, it's usually about eight or nine o'clock till about five so I'll do I'll do some light work in the morning. I'll wake up as early as possible, light work in the morning on the computer, um, and then come home five six o'clock. Pretty shattered, not gonna lie. Um, hang out the kids, dinner, bath, bed, sort all that stuff out with the the wife, and then um, yeah, it's just it's on the computer, like just working. So I'll do my six or seven hours at night, um, and it's it's been. Pretty tricky, man. Year and a half, it's been pretty tricky. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you're on the, the finishing line side of things now. I'd like to say, you know, like I'd like to think, like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think I am. I suppose once the um, it's it's amazing what goes behind the walls in a passive house. Like, yeah. it it is remarkable how much like it's funny because in a conventional build, once the plaster goes on, it's like. No one, no one cares anymore. Like it, it's just, it just all disappears. Like if the insulation is not installed correctly, no one's ever going to see it again. That person, if you look at the national average, seven and a half years, they're going to move out. Yeah. That that house will probably get renovated in about ten to fifteen. So all that stuff will never get seen again. Whereas when you're doing an owner build, I see it every day. So I've only got tradies there that like I trust. So the sparkly, the plumber, um, they're all open to the idea. And there's no like, I know I can just put the plasterboard on and I'll never see it again. I'll never see the insulation in Tello, nothing. I, I, I probably hope I'll, I never have to take the plasterboard off, but I don't think I'll ever see it again. But I'm the type of bloke that's like, like I, I try to 
cut a corner and the next day I'm there fixing it because I just, I can't leave it. Do you know what I mean? Same as if my drafting, like there's just certain things that I can't like let slide. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's understandable too. It's almost like Passive House was made for your personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> obsessive compulsive, I think. It's like, so you touched yeah, on Italo as well there. I just wanted to ask if you could just talk about that and uh, you know being a vapor bar on the inside of the wall and the importance of that. Yeah, so we, we basically, we, we want to kind of seal up our homes. Um, I'd, I'd say as much as possible. Like the, there's a lot of people, like when I first started talking about Passive House and I was talking to like, the builder that I used to work for when I was like a little bit on the tools here and there. Um, and even some other guys are like, what do you mean? Like you're going to, that's going to be all like moldy and stale there and this and that. And then you have to explain like, oh no, there's a HIV, blah, blah, blah. So the the, the idea and the, the pushback behind sealing up your home is it, I think by, by 2023, everyone's kind of starting to come around that we have to get these air changes down. For those of you that aren't aware, air changes is how we measure the, I don't know, the the, the home, uh, how much it leaks. Well, I don't know what the technical term is for that, the, the leakability, I don't know. <laughs> well, essentially it is, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so we're trying to determine a way of measuring how airtight the home is. Yeah, how and it retains that air inside the building. Exactly. Yeah, so pressurise or depressurise and it gives us a full result of how many times the volume of that home is exchanging yeah exactly so we'll, we'll have your um your standard home you probably know more than me but i think it's floating at about eight to 15 air changes per hour i think more in like those really old homes yeah we've only got one study that was carried out by the csio by michael ambrose and team there mm. so it's pretty limited data collection but i think the average is around 15 air changes um an hour uh for the country and that number was brought down due to Tasmania because they kind of worked out down there in that colder climate that if we get rid of all the drafts and get rid of all the leaks, it's actually more comfortable in your home. Yeah, I, I would probably, if I was a betting man, I would probably, I'd probably say it's more around 20 plus. I'd, I'd, I think um, there might be some builders out there that are accidentally hitting some pretty good air tightness, but I don't think... Um, yeah, I don't think there'd be much of a below 10 in, in my opinion. Um, but uh, getting back to the air changes per hour, so the, the volume of air inside your building, it comes and goes through your, your PowerPoint holes, through like cracks, through your, if you've got an old home and you can see daylight, like all those little holes um, underneath your front door, that little 20 mil, 10 mil cut that someone did crooked. Um that's all just leaking air. And if you're sitting there spending money, let's just say it's like super hot outside, right? Um, and you've spent all this money air conditioning your your house and it's it's actually, it's tolerable inside. Your air conditioner is just constantly fighting this uphill battle because all that air that it just conditioned is just running outside all those holes and it's being replaced with warm air. Vice versa in winter, all this cold air is coming in and your air conditioner is just, trying to keep up, trying to keep the place warm. But every hour, the air changes 15 times on a, on a windy day. Um, and that costs you money. If you want to save money while you're building your home, you just build it more airtight. And you've done it really good. Like you're using plasterboard, um, which a lot of people should be able to get around. 
or get get their head around that. It's not too challenging. Um, I, I don't know much about it myself. So I, I did use Intello, like you mentioned. That's basically a um, we've got a we've got a wrap on the outside. Just to simplify it, wrap on the outside, wrap on the inside. The wrap like on the Fain. outside is yeah. We're, we're trying to keep our our water out while letting it pass through, and we're also trying on the inside one. We're trying to keep the air inside while allowing moisture to to escape. Um, but essentially, what that does is it it brings our air tightness um, below zero point six. So again, that the standard home. Let's just say that that's fifteen. This is zero point six. So it's not even one, um, which yeah. means that the the heating and cooling energy that I put into my home, regardless of season, um, it remains in the building. And the I think the HRV runs at like a three air changes per hour. Is that right? Is that like the general rule of thumb? I couldn't tell you if I totaled up all the flow rates to the volume of the home. I could probably give you a better answer, but I've, I've um, heard that I've heard that before. I think a HRV is typically around. Don't quote me on it. There's probably some HRV guy screaming at his Joel, right please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mr. Fanta. Um, yeah, so that that obviously does have some type of, but that's like a the HRV is like a controlled air change. We're, we're in control of that. The whole thing of Passive House is to be in control of everything. We're in control of the shading that comes in. We're in control of the moisture going out. It's it's not leaving things up to chance. And a lot of people confuse Passive Solar design with Passive House. There's there's borrowed elements of that in Passive House, but like you could build a Passive House anywhere in the world. It's We're not relying on like opening windows for natural ventilation because... That, that's what our ventilation systems are for. We're, we're eliminating the variables and making it, um, we're making it measured and controlled. So you get a repeated outcome all the time. It's If, if you do like a solar passive, um, it's building orientation is very important. And the solar passive guys are like super big on that. Um, I'm not picking teams or anything. Like I orientate my buildings too. But in the in the grand scheme of things, like when you look at blocks that are getting cut up now, the developer isn't sitting there cutting up blocks for solar passive design. Like he's just saying, I've got hundred acres. I want to make some money and I'm going to cut up these blocks and make them 450 square meters each. I don't care if they're facing south, north. He doesn't care. He's just there to make money. So these days, the typical block, 450, 500 square meters facing whatever way, passive house works because you can dump your house on there and then you just use building physics, mathematics, the PHPP to balance it out. And that's what that's what Passive House does. You balance it out to a point where you hit the standard. Um, yeah. Well, I think they work both. They work hand in hand. Passive solar design and Passive mm. House complement each other. And it's what we're all looking for is control too, whether we want to acknowledge it or maybe we haven't considered it or given it thought. But when I get home and it's hot inside the house, I want to control the temperature by putting my air conditioner on. Yeah, but I go to sleep at night. I don't want it to be 45 degrees, you know, no. and vice versa, depending on the climate. You know, when it's yeah. really cold in winter, I want to come home and make sure my house is warm and comfortable. So I'm mm. looking for control. So this just but, provides that response or answer to that. The... um. Like you just, you said it as well. Like when you come home, the first thing you do is, well, most people put on the air conditioner because they, they want to be in charge of the, the temperature inside. The other person on the on the spectrum will open up their windows and be like, even if they got air conditioning, maybe they want that natural 
flow. They'll open up the front door, open up the back door and get a good breeze. But that breeze, it brings in everything. It's not just cooling or heating or whatever. It brings in everything, bushfire smoke, pollen, allergies. It, bring, it brings in everything with it. So that, that's another good thing about passive house. Like I get really bad hay fever. Um, I'm, I'm dosed up on Telfast right now, but um, <laughs> when that wears off, it's like within a matter of minutes, my nose is running like a tap. So springtime kind of sucks. And um, I can eliminate that because all the air inside my home is running through my HIV and it's all filtered. That's gold. Imagine like the feeling, like this is one of the reasons why, again, we've done it. Just being at home, the, the, the whole purpose of building a house, if you've got a family, is to to make a nice, safe place for your family to live, right? That's that's kind of what, or else me as a guy, I don't care. I'll just sleep on a mattress on the floor. I don't care. But to that, that's kind of like how I see it, that the whole the whole point of this thing is to to provide and it's going to be a really good feeling knowing that when when the kids are sleeping, they got nice controlled climate air just going in their room. Take it like it's it's all just been um, cycled through their room. It's not like this this build up of um, the car carbon dioxide in the room. You wake up, you feel lethargic. Like there's nice fresh air um, being pumped into your room constantly, and that's really important when you're sleeping. Like. A, a lot oh, of people is. don't know about that. Yeah, if, no, CO2 up when you're sleeping, uh, particularly in a bedroom. So, constant vision, master bed, uh, mum, dad, kids have decided to come in during the night and join. Maybe there's a mm. pet as well. You've got a huge amount of CO2 build up in a very small space. Mm. And that a is going to interrupt your sleep patterns. Yeah. If, Most if, people and, will be impacted by it. And to the people listening, not aware of it, if you had a CO2 meter in your bedroom, if you sleep with the door open, oh, sorry, the door closed, then you could see the result when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. Well, there's an actionable item. Everyone go get a CO2 sensor and put it in your bedroom and see yeah. what it looks and you, like. Like I know on your jobs, you collect a lot of data, so you can definitely speak to this. Even even in your living room, like if you've got like your family in the living room, there'll be a spike. If you have a gas cooker and you're just cooking dinner, there's a spike. Like you're, you're combusting something. Um, most people's range hoods are they're not that great or they forget to turn them on. You're asphyxiating yourself. That's that's basically what it is. It's it's not great. Yeah. Indoor air quality will be the big topic of discussion for us all moving forward. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back now to the wall assemblies. We didn't touch on glazing. So oh, I wouldn't yeah. mind if you could just yeah, talk about that and then maybe shading and how you've dealt with that. Um, so we have the, an airtight home, so it's very high yeah. risk of overheating occurring. Yeah, exactly. So the, the glazing, um, that was supplied from Logic House. Um, can't recommend those guys enough. Harley and Jason, are, they're legends, man. Um, so those those windows are, if anyone's been to Europe, they're like the, the European-style tilt turns. They're designed in Germany. I think they manufacture them in Poland or something. Funny thing is they're, the Logic House windows, you could almost get them landed in Australia to it's, – it's comparable, it's price comparative. Well, I don't think it's they're, – they're overly expensive. I think they're for, – for what you're getting, it's a bargain in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and this is Australia. double glazing or triple glazing? Yeah, double. I, I, again, yeah. I, I did do the maths on the triple and there wasn't – there's not too much of a, a price rise when you do go into triple glazing, but there just kind of wasn't a need for it. Um, so – the extra and money that uh, dependent. 
climate-wise, yeah, exactly. Right. Maybe in like Tasmania or Melbourne, you might want to do it. I'm not sure. But in, in my area, it's pretty, it's very easy to build a passive house where I am. Um, it was just kind of, it, there was no point for the extra investment. I just put that into um, wood fiber insulation. Um, so, the, you know, I'm using um, double glazed timber frame windows. Um, they're just painted black. It's got like an aluminium cloud on the outside for a bit of durability. Um, and they look nice, super sleek. Um, people are super impressed when they, they open them and use them. And you've, you've seen um, tilt turns before, they're, they're awesome. Um, so we went with the, the Logic House windows. Um, as, as to, in terms of shading, um, one thing you can do in the, there's another piece of software that complements the PHPP, which is called Design PH. Um, it's basically, for those of you that use SketchUp, um, it's a plugin that you plug in in SketchUp and um, you model your building into like a nice 3D model. You you assign all the walls, the windows, the um, the roof um, values to to that model, and then you can export that data into your PHPP. Um, one thing that that Design PH software does is it it's basically got like a realistic sun path. Um, which most most drafting um, programs do, but SketchUp is one of them, and it utilizes that by um, measuring the the shading of, of all the windows or the doors. So that data also gets exported in. So what I did was I actually, because my my house is getting built in a new estate, um, we I, I approached all my neighbors, um, all but one gave me all their plans. So I I managed to get their plans and I 3D modeled their houses at the correct RLs or the, the correct levels where they're going to sit. And I had an accurate um, representation of the terrain. Um, and then that was in SketchUp, which if any of those buildings casted shade or shadow on my windows and all that, that was um, taken into account as well. So it's great if you can do that. If your designer can do that for you, that is fantastic. Um, another thing you can do which I did was for that neighbor that didn't give me his plans. I actually own a 3D building scanner. Um, so I said to him, all right, no worries, man, not a problem. I went on my vacant block. I stuck my 3D scanner in the middle and I just done a big 360 degree sweep, um, which gave me like a point cloud that I could put into um, design PH and um, model his building based on that. Um, so even if you, even if it isn't a new estate, you still can, like you, you can capture trees, stuff like that. And there are people that do building scans and point cloud, um, scans throughout the country. So they're not that hard to get. Um, so I used that, so that, that helped kind of determine the amount of shading that I had. And also, um, on my Western side, um, it's, I, I've got a split level block of land. So it kind of, um, it kind of put my bedrooms on the western side, which I, at all costs, I, I really try to avoid as, as we as you would. You don't want a hot bedroom. But when you when you pair up the um, the ventilated cavity, the 25 millimeter external ventilated cavity, the 40 millimeter board, and the 90 millimeter back, that gives you like over 4,000 joules of energy per square meter of heat absorption. So. Basically, in one square meter, I think the lag time from the from the product data of the wood fiber thing, it, it says it's like a four to six hour lag time to get through one layer. 
So when That's you crazy. pair those up, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's mental. So for those of you that can't imagine it, just think of like one square meter of insulation or of that of that wall. Um, it will take six to eight hours for for me to even feel any type of heat, and and because it's directly west, I'm only going to get western sun for like what do you reckon? Maybe two three hours, like. By the end of the afternoon, it's gone. So I, I took that hit and then I just added some external blinds, which were ordered through Logic House um, that I just put on the outside. Um, that's another hot tip. A lot of people think that putting blinds on your inside is like the solution, but once it's past your window, past your glazing, it's in your house. That's it. Anything beyond your glass, that energy is through there. So honeycomb this, curtains that. It, it doesn't matter. Like it, it really, it doesn't work as good as external blinds. So any type of um, like fixed awnings, I've got a couple of fixed awnings or um, external blinds. That's where you kind of, you want to stop it in its tracks before it enters. So I've got a couple of blinds on, on my home as well, on the Western side. Yeah, because once it's entered into the home, that now requires energy to continue that there. base. So. That's it. It's in there, man. That's why people with skylights, skylights are like, oh, you know, it comes with an internal blind and this and that, but it doesn't matter. A, it's a hole in your roof. I know they look cool, but it's a hole in your roof. It's, it's a wild thing to do. Um, and if there's a client out there that wants to do them, I'll do them. There's no dramas. Like we can detail them correctly and make them pretty durable, but you know, you've always got that risk. Um, and B, there's only a couple that have external blinds and they're very expensive. So yeah, if you're going to do skylights, you have to spend the money and do it properly. I've, uh, I call them heat chimneys. Yeah. So when you put the thermal camera <laughs> over them, it's like, whoa. Oh yeah. I've never done that before. Yeah. That, that would be, yeah, cool. That would be interesting to see. I don't have a thermal camera. I'd love one, but um yeah god that would be so cool to see chimneys are a funny thing as well in fireplaces like as a building designer i'm sure you've had this conversation a million times where someone's like oh i just love the romance of a, a fireplace and this and that blah blah but people have to understand in australia like to have a, a fireplace in a passive house you're going to be cooking that is like five minutes it's going to be hot It'll almost be yeah. unbearable. You'll end up putting it out. So my option for that is um, I suppose you can do like an ethanol one. I'm not sure. But just put a fire pit outside because that that's kind of like a nice middle ground. It's cool to have a fire outside, you know what I mean? If you have like an actual fireplace, you'll never air seal it properly. I know there's passive house fireplaces, but even then the overheating would be Phenomenal. I'm getting off glazing. I'm all over the place. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's to a good glazing. topic as well. Having a fireplace <laughs> in a passive house is one of the most frequently asked questions also. So, Oh, man. And I just I want to make sure that listeners understand the reason why we're saying this is that once you go air-tired and you put these higher and thermal insulative um, envelopes, yeah, way less energy to just keep them warm. Or, and so, therefore, if you have a huge amount of solar gain and it's coming in through your windows that aren't shaded correctly – it's going to heat that home up very quickly. Yeah, very uh, quickly. Because it requires such a little energy to do so. Yeah. So I've, touching I've on got, um, how detailed you went with your shading and what you did to do that, that's that's great. Yeah, I've, I've got a, a quick little story about um, like heating and cooling requirements. So one thing that people might run into, and even with like a, a conventional builder that's maybe trying a passive house, um, 
which is, you know, that's cool. I'm all for that. But they also have to speak to their trades, especially the refrigeration mechanics, um, the guys that install your air conditioning, the ducted, all that kind of stuff. So you have to also understand that. Um, but my, my particular story was I was trying to convince my air conditioner installer that I only needed like a five kilowatt ducted system. I found one. They can make one. I want to use that one. Can we put that in? He thought I was mental. He thought I was absolutely crazy. He goes, nah, like he was this European guy. He's like, nah, bro, you're going to need like 20 kilowatts minimum for this size house. And I'm like, it was like, you know, it was pushing shit uphill. I, I had to, he just couldn't, he wouldn't, he refused to basically put in anything smaller than a 16. And I went through a couple of air conditioner guys until I found one where I'm like, Please just take my word for it, bro. I've done the the maths on it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Like, you know, if you've done this and he, he still thinks that it's a bit odd, but um, again, it goes to that thing of like, you have to pick your trades and they have to be kind of open to the idea um, because that first guy, even the second and third that I interviewed, he was like, he thought I was mental. Because yeah, typically- I've had this happen so many times as yeah. well. So it maybe talk about a big how you determine that. You know, obviously going to circle back to PHPP here. But yeah, yeah. It's obviously yeah. Some, there's a way you can do that. Yeah, in the PHPP, basically, once you um once you input all your your wall build ups and this and that, it, it tells you how efficient the building is. It spits out a couple of numbers, and then one of those numbers is your your heat demand or your your cooling. Is it cooling load? Is that what it's called? Cooling. Yeah. Yeah. So your cooling loads and your heat load. So what what the building requires. <clears throat> Input-wise, in order to maintain um, a 20 to 25 degree temperature, for instance, let's just we'll keep it simple. Um, so, my home came in at, at five kilowatts. Um, I think I've oh geez, it was I haven't looked at the pH PP in a while. You've seen it more regular recently than me, but I think it was um, I had more I had more heating. I remember your cooling demands being a lot higher than I would typically see here. Oh, my cooler. Um, okay, seconds. sorry. Yeah. My cooling demands were a lot higher. Well, I remember one of the two. Um, so, but I, I could get away with, um, you know, maybe maybe two, 2.5 splitties just throughout the house. Um, to keep it neat, I thought, okay, well, I'll put in a ducted and they can do like a five kilowatt because when I put in to the PHPP um, five kilowatts of cooling, the PHPP says, yep, cool, gives me the tick and satisfies. Like that criteria is met, so that's all good. And then that's what you'd kind of tell your um, your air conditioning installer. Like, you know, that's kind of roughly what I need. I think it's good to oversize. So I, I went to a 7.1 um, and then I, I felt like I was reverse haggling with my air conditioner installer. Um, <laughs> we, we settled on a 10. So okay. I, I've, <laughs> I've got a... I've got a 10 kilowatt system um, in my home, which the the price point between the two was, um, I think it was $300. So it, it there's, once you're doing ducted, you're doing ducted kind of, there's no real like big jumps in price. So I thought, okay, listen, for 300 bucks, just chuck it in. I'm not gonna have this argument. I've got, you know, we gotta move forward. So the 10 kilowatts going in, it's all ducted. And um, oh, there's something else interesting about it. I've lost it. I've no, lost that's it. okay. I'm, I'm yeah. curious as to what you've had to do to facilitate a ducted system because typically I would see just a standalone or bulkhead unit yeah. or a reverse cycling conditioning system. So in, in my home, um, as I mentioned, the 300-millimeter the eye joists are acting as my rafters and 
I opted to put my um the roof system there's a lot there's a lot of decisions in my roof system to make it that way and one of those ones was to get the insulation up in between the rafters that's like again in my opinion that's the best way to do it you want to have um you want to have the insulation at the outmost building uh, outmost point of the building if if it's possible which that would kind of leave me with a um a cavity you could imagine in between the oh my watch got caught um in between the ceiling and the rafters i've got you know a couple of hundred mil on the high point up to a meter so the the good thing about that is because your insulation is up near your roof sheets your your service cavity your ceiling service cavity is treated area like it's it's nice conditioned air if you think about a standard home it's absolutely crazy how how people do it. I think it's one of the wildest things ever, but you, you'll have your outdoor unit on the outside of a typical ducted system. And on the inside, in your roof, that probably gets up to like, I don't know, what do you reckon? Maybe like 55, 60 degrees. Like it gets it pretty can. hot up there. Yeah, it can. It gets hot. You've got an indoor unit. The indoor unit itself, it's not very insulated. It is to a degree, but they're not like, they, and they are designed to run in those areas, but it's not a good idea. You've got air being cooled in that indoor unit, getting pumped out in these 300 mil insulated ducts and all those, all that ducting, we're talking like, it could be up to like 10, um, 20 meters of ducting is just running through this 60 degree bloody roof space and then dumping it into your house. Like the, the, the beauty of having your insulation up, that becomes your conditioned space. It's kind of like conditioned attic where you can run it within the conditioned space. So there's a lot less, um, well, I'd say there's a lot less heat loss. There's a lot less um, heat getting in. It's kind of, it's kind of having your. If you could picture in a standard home, your ducting is running inside your house. That's probably <laughs> underneath the ceiling insulation. So, yeah, no, it, it makes total yeah. sense. And um, I think the biggest thing to compare that is that you've got very, much reduced energy loss, right? Like regardless Heaps, of cooling or yeah. heating. Yeah, and it's all money. Energy is only getting more expensive. There's there's anything you can do to to regain self, put money back in your pocket. It's a win, hundred percent. Like it, it's, I don't, I don't think um, the government's going to wake up tomorrow and, and buy back electricity and start doing it for cheap again. It's just not going to happen. No, if it uh, if that does happen, <laughs> oh, thank you. Like up in a parallel universe. I'd love that. That'd be fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Outlier Podcast. You can find helpful links and contact information regarding this episode in our show notes and on our website, outlierstudio.com.au forward slash podcast. If you like our show, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe to never miss a new episode. If you have further questions for us or would want to share some additional feedback, please feel free to DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Until next time on the Outlier Podcast.